All right, we've been talking about prayer, and I want to continue in that uh, for, with us this week and just consider what, how we approach prayer, what we think prayer is about. Um, I really do think that how our perspective of prayer really is a direct reflection of our thoughts of God. And sometimes we don't realize that. Um, maybe you've thought that prayer is simply getting what you want and having somehow having God give you what you want. I know that, and I don't state that in a negative way. I think a lot of times we approach prayer from the perspective of, I pray because things are bad, so I've got to make them good, and God's the one that's going to make them good for me. Or I pray because I want something, and I don't know how I'm going to get it, so I'm going to, prayer is going to be that connection to getting what I want. I, I think that's often how we approach prayer. And what I'm hoping that we're beginning to understand in this series is that prayer is much more than getting what we want. It is actually getting what God desires for us to have. And God is a good God. It says in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7 that he is a good father who loves to give us good gifts. And, and uh, much more than we as parents uh, are those who give good gifts. Uh, he knows much more. And the reason that he's able to give good gifts is he, because he knows who we are and what we need. Now, here's the other thing we've been talking about. We've said that there are basically uh, three foundational elements to prayer. That's what we've been talking about. And if uh, we got it back up, okay, cool. Um, in prayer, starting at the top uh, is knowing God. The first foundational element of prayer is to know God. Uh, we often approach God and pray and ask for things. And it goes back to what I was just asking you. We approach God from a perspective of what we see in our circumstances. We see an obstacle. We see God as the means past the obstacle. We see uh, pain. We see God as the relief to pain. We, maybe it's feel rather than see, but we experience pain. We want relief from it. We, we uh, have concern for the future, so we will pray that God will become that bridge to the future of success that we want to have. Knowing God actually creates something different for our prayers, what it allows us to do is approach God according to who he is. And as Jesus said, remember in the Lord's Prayer, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, honored be your name, glorified be your name, in, on earth as it is in heaven. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's according to the will of God, but we have to know God to know his will. Romans chapter 12, if you want to go read it, it tells us in there, we're going to kind of talk about this perspective here as we go further into it this morning. The first challenge of Romans chapter 12 is to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. It's the idea that as we know who God is, it calls us into a position of humility and surrender. So in understanding who God is, and then he says the blessing that comes out of that, where we will actually give ourselves as a sacrifice to God, in other words, my life is yours to use, God. When we get to that point, then we will know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there is an element of, I have to know God. Out of knowing God comes loving God, and out of loving God comes obedience to God. And so it really does change, and I hope we'll figure this out, how we pray and why we pray. If we begin to understand what God says is foundational to him. First of all, knowing him. We've talked about that. That God wants us to know him for who he is. He's creator and sustainer. Everything that exists, he spoke into existence. It was his idea. The number of breaths you will take in your lifetime, he's counted them out. The number of hairs on your head, or for some lack thereof, he has already counted those and know it. Some of you are quite shiny in here. So anyway, the, the reality is God knows 
our lives. And when we begin to approach God from the perspective he knows, I don't have to inform him. See, sometimes I think we're, we're, we believe we have to wake God up and tell him the circumstance that I find myself in. God, I, I think I'm going to lose my job, and what am I going to do? How am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to do this? I won't have food on the table. God, you don't understand. No, God already knows those things. You see, he already knows your life. You find yourself in a circumstance where you didn't want to be. You never imagined yourself being. God was aware. Now, it may not have been the circumstance he had best planned for you, but when we run our lives on our own for so long and then suddenly turn to God and God help, doesn't mean that what, he, what we did before was all his plan. It means that he can redeem in the midst of those things. You see, he's a redeemer. So even when I reject him, but I turn back to him, he can redeem. I need to know that God is a redeemer then in those circumstances, don't I? That he will take my worst of decisions and turn them into an opportunity for me to learn of the depth of who he is, the power of his existence. So knowledge is the first foundation, but knowledge leads to love. The Bible's very clear that as we get to know God, we get to know him as a loving father. The problem is many of us pray to God as not a loving father, but as just simply one who might be an option to meet and get me what I want. But it's the knowing God that leads the opportunity to fall into, and I use that not in the romantic sense, but fall in love with God based on knowledge. True love is based on knowledge, not on emotional feeling. And, and so it's in that as I get to know God, I, I get to uh, love God for who he is. And I get to know, love God for what he's done, not only for who he is, but in the fact that he is a God who gave himself for me, who loved me enough to give himself for me, to remove my past failures, to bring me into a right relationship with him. And so those are the first two foundations that we've looked at so far. The third one we're going to look at today, this whole idea of obeying God. Prayer needs to be an expression of obedience. It's a surrender of humility. As I, re I mentioned Romans chapter 12, it's that surrender to God. As I pray to you, I'm willing to uh, allow you to do as you please. How many times have you prayed to God and put the parameters on what his response needs to be? I do it often. We do it all the time. Because our vision is limited. Our perspective only goes so far. But if I'm really praying to God, then I am learning and knowing as the one who's created, who has uh, eternity from beginning to er in eternity to end, which it has neither one, but he's existed in all of it. So I'm a little spot in the middle of it that he thought of and breathed breath into and gave me days on this earth. If I can change my perspective to his, then my prayers can be do as you please. The very prayer of, of Jesus. God himself speaking to the Father and saying, not my will, but yours be done. It's perspective. He saw what was faced before him as a human being. He was going to have to take suffering for my sin, for your sin. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be spat upon. He was going to be uh, laughed at. He was going to be ridiculed. He was going to be hung and displayed in his body before humanity. And he said, I don't want to do it. But not my will, yours be done. Because he knew the perspective of his father was salvation for all. And so for a moment of humility, he was willing to take that so that we could have a, a lifetime, an eternity of glory with him. And so when I pray, I need to pray with eternity in mind. The God of eternity is listening into my temporal moment. And he is wanting to respond and has a purpose greater than what I can see. So it leads to obedience. And I want to talk about that.
today. Let's, let's just start as we kind of review this. Last week we talked about James 5.16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, the word righteous, we, we sometimes don't understand fully what that means. But I'm gonna, I like to maybe uh, describe it or define it in this way. It simply has to be brought into a right relationship. Now, when one considers who God is, then that right relationship requires me to be perfect and holy as he is perfect and holy. How many of us in here are perfect and holy? I got news for you. You're not. You may be a good person, but you're far from perfect and holy in the light of God. But what has God done? He sent his son to be that for us. His son, Jesus, was perfect without sin, Scripture tells us. But he was willing to die for those who had sinned, that we might have a relationship with God. In fact, go to uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. We read this. For it is by the trespasses of the one man, he's speaking of Adam, death reigned through that one man. What does it mean, death reigned through him? By the choice of Adam and Eve to disobey God, to walk and turn their back on his presence in their life, the thing that we experience in this world, what we call sin, sin is separation. It's missing the mark of God. We've been torn away from that relationship. Because of him, we've all suffered because of that choice. goes on to say, though, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? See what Jesus did for us? He brought us back into that righteous relationship because he was righteous. He was without blame and without fault. He brought us back into relationship with God. That phrase there, uh, and the gift of righteousness reign in life. That word reign is a, uh, a powerful expression of what our prayer lives should be. They should be allowing us the authority. It talks, that word brings with it the idea of authority in life. That we have power over all of life because of what Jesus has done. He's brought us into a right relationship with God. Do you understand how powerful your prayers are? That's why we can read in James that the, uh, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Because we have, it says there, because of the grace of God, we've been brought into a right relationship with God. And we move from being under subjection to the forces of this world and what we call life to reigning over life in Christ. So when I pray, I pray with one who's already found victory in my circumstances because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. I can reign in life. I need to lift my head up. It's a picture of one who is, it's the crowned uh, king sitting on his throne that determines what happens in his kingdom. Because of what Jesus has done, I have been given authority over life. Not by my own decision, but by the very grace of God, his righteousness brings me into a position of power that when I pray for a circumstance, God's will will be done. That's pretty powerful because I already know who God is. He's creator of all things. He's the one that can speak to the wind and the waves and they will die down or they will go silent. He's the one that with a word created the universe. Every star we see came from a word of God. That's who he is. And he's the one who died on the cross. So that I could have life. And he says, now when you speak and you pray, you pray as one who reigns in the power and authority of Jesus. That's why Jesus said, when you ask for anything in my name, you will, it will be given to you. Do you understand? He's the authority. That's what he's telling you. The authority to pray with power in this world comes from what we received in Jesus. So that is the gift that we have been given. And prayer is not a... a uh, 
a begging or a pleading. It's not a last resort. It's not the world's going to cave in on me. I stand with authority no matter what the circumstances. It's like Jesus walking on the water or Jesus saying, peace be still. It's the authority over life. You see, we lost that authority over life when our ancestors, when Adam and Eve walked away from God. That was a gift from God. Life was the gift. And he said, rule and reign over it. That was the, the, the mandate given to Adam and Eve both. Rule and reign over this life that I have given. But sin took away that power of rule and reign. And so now life had its authority over us. Uh, slivers and thorns, scraped knees and diseases. Everything was a result of sin. And life became more powerful than what we had in us. Jesus gave it back to us. And so when I pray, I pray with the authority of one who knows and loves the creator of all things because I've received life back in Jesus. But there's that third element in knowing and loving Jesus and understanding the power that I have, and that third element is the idea of obedience. It's not, my prayers are not one of those filled with obligation or fear, but that of knowledge and love. And I, as I discover and know God, then my desires become his best. You ever thought about that? The reason that love and knowledge are so important to prayer is that when I pray, my prayers become his desires, and his desires are the very best for me and very best for him to be known. See, God is, is interesting in that when he does anything, he wants to be known. He wants to be known not because he's egotistical, but because he's God. He wants to be known because he understands that when one knows him, their life has changed. You know, there really was no one that ever had an encounter with Jesus that was not changed in some way. Some chose to walk away, but their lives were still not the same. They couldn't give excuse anymore. But those who would come to, uh, to see Jesus for who he was, even in light of what their circumstances were, their lives were radically changed. I think of, there are so many examples of that. I just, they're, they're pictures in my mind. The woman who had been bleeding for for years, touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And his power flows through her to heal her. It's, it's Zacchaeus climbing a tree to be recognized by Jesus because he knows his only hope and the only difference that one's going to make is knowing Jesus. It's, you know, we could just walk through those who had their encounters with Jesus. And when we come to know God for who he is, it really changes how we approach life. And it leads to obedience. When I really know Jesus and when I love him, I want what he wants. And so I surrender my will. So I'm willing, as it says in Romans 12, to present myself as a living sacrifice. I give myself up. And I love the word in, in Romans 12. There's actually a picture there when that's given. We don't understand the sacrificial system much anymore. Purpose was the reminder of the holiness of God and my distance from him, but his grace to allow me into his presence. And so I was reminded of that through the sacrifices. And now when in Romans 12, when I'm called to be that sacrifice, but he calls for me to be a living sacrifice, there's a purpose for it. It's that I surrender everything of myself so that I can become seen in my life as the example of God's salvation and grace to anyone and everyone. My life is to be that expression. And the opportunity to know God, the opportunity to express God, and that expression comes through obedience. You see, obedience 
is ultimately the expression of the love that I have for God, and that love is based on knowledge. Here's, here's where I'll take you. John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. See the connection? He's, Jesus is stating it's, a, it's not like, well, if you decide uh, that you love me, then you, know, you might want to do what I want to do, what I would have you do. He said it's a, they're directly related. Either in love you do what I would ask you to do, you obey, or if you don't obey, you don't love me. And he ultimately takes it back, this is in John 14, that you don't know him. See, to know God will lead to love God, and to learning to love God will lead to obeying God. And, he, and then the great thing in that triangle that I've been trying to explain to you is they aren't separated. Each point is an expression, but they all go together because as I love God and I obey God, God reveals himself more to me because I am now, a, it's like my eyes being cleared to see him more. And so I know more of him. And the more I know of him, it changes my and deepens my love and my relationship with him. And knowing that, I want to stand firm in that, and stay in that position of knowledge and love with Christ. And so it continues to go deeper and deeper. And so do you see how our prayers can be, would change? If in the middle of our lives it's a swirling of knowledge and love and obedience, my prayers will simply be, God, how do I express you in this circumstance? Because I really want to tell that person what they need to hear, but how do I express love? How do I express you? God, I want to see this change because it will benefit me much more if this happens, but not my will, but yours be done. Because I want you more than I want that. You see, the, the, the reality is we need to become those who learn to obey out of love for Christ. The word obedience isn't a popular one, I guess, really in our culture. It never really has been. Um, I always have trouble, and this is partly me, but... You know, the old uh, the wedding vows to love, honor, and, o- and obey till death do us part. I know that there was intent behind it, so not knocking anybody made that, but the reality is there's really only one we're called to obey. And our culture twisted that idea a lot along the way and made it that there's this uh, a woman's to obey the man because he's going to obey God. The reality is Jesus said that every one of us came into a relationship with him. We make that personal relationship. So male or female, God called us into relationship, and the only one we are to obey, the only place for obedience is in relationship with God. That's why the Bible says that every one of us, male and female, will give an account to God how we lived our lives. There's no excuse. Well, my husband, he was, you know, I tried obeying him, but he wasn't. Sorry. What do you know about me, Jesus will say? Did you follow me and obey me? We have to be careful of things that over, over the years the church has let slip in that sound very gospel-oriented. And, and oh, that's got to be true. But the reality is it can take away from the truth of who Jesus is, the one who loved us and died for us, the one who is God himself. Do we know him? Do we love him? Do we obey him? There is no human being that we are to obey. But God himself calls us to submit to authority, to show respect to him, but my obedience is to God. I think that's important for us to understand. That doesn't mean we create an attitude of defiance to anybody else that asks us to do anything. No, I still obey God. Romans chapter 13 is very clear about that, among other places. 
I'll take you to 1 Peter. We are to live as children of the light so that Christ is seen in us as we submit to those in authority, as we respond to those who have, um, that can lead us and teach us. It, within the church, we are to submit to the authority within the church so that we are honoring Christ. You see, it's obedience that leads to practical expression of the existence of God in my life. In, obedience is the evidence of my love for Jesus. I want to take you to 1 John chapter 2. Take a few minutes here in this passage. If you have your Bibles, you can open there. 1 John chapter 2. In fact, here's, here's my encouragement for you this week. If you're looking for uh, something to, for your quiet time, uh, spend some time in John chapter 14 and in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, but I really encourage you to look at all of 1 John. It's, it's short. It's five chapters. Um, but John chapter 14 and, and all of 1 John, because they talk about what comes out of a relationship with God that leads to obedience. And obedience follows what we know about Jesus and our love for him. 1 John chapter 2, picking up with verse 3, it says this. And we know that we have come to know him. Okay, here's, the, here's this, he's responding to this. How do you know that you know God? Here's the evidence. If we keep his commands. Now, remember back in John chapter 14, Jesus said, if you, keep my com- if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So now we see this blending of love, knowledge and love leading to obedience. Obedience comes from a knowledge of God. Let's go to verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Ouch, that's a pretty harsh statement. But if anyone obeys his words... Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. I want to walk through that for just a minute. I want to draw just a couple points to your attention. First of all, we can't know God and not obey God. If we truly come to know God. Now, we will often create images of God that make us comfortable in doing things that we want to do. That is a struggle that humanity has had from the time we walked away from God. It's called idolatry. Okay? We make up false images of God so that we can bring him down to a level of excuse that allows us to do anything we want to do. We do it all the time. You we think of Old Testament, they had a wood, you know, wooden and stone idols. That's idolatry. No, we make idolatry is anything placing God in a position that is not based on who he actually is. And a knowledge of knowing who he actually is as a redeemer, as a God of of salvation, as a God who is uh, in control of all things, a God who is all-powerful. If we make him anything less than that, it's idolatry. And the reason that we most often make him less than who he is, number one, it's a lack of knowledge and knowing him. Number two, it's because we're much more comfortable with a God who can be manipulated. And so in that process, what we're being told in in those verses right there is the evidence of knowing God is obeying his commands. When we're willing to submit to obey, and it didn't say, notice, you, it's uh, evidence of knowing God is when you obey when things are easy to obey. When God says to love your neighbor as yourself, well, what he really meant was the neighbor that's three houses down, not the first two. No, he says love your neighbor. In fact, what he's telling, and he even tells, we are familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. 
he gives the story of the Good Samaritan, maybe you need to go back and read it, for an understanding that it's not who is physically next to you, it's seeing people as valuable in light of how God views people. That's your neighbor. So there is no one we can look at with an excuse and go, yeah, but that guy's just an idiot. Well, God might agree with you, but you still love him. Okay, see, that's where we struggle with and go, okay, God's calling you to love them because you know him. Not because of whatever reason we might give. See, we want to make the application of what we know about God circumstantial so we can control it. That's not knowing God, and that's not obedience. Obedience is in the tough situations when God says, you know what, tell the truth here. Because I only speak the truth. But God, if I tell the truth, I'm gonna, it's going to cause all kinds of problems. I'm going to have to deal with these things. It's going to be easier if I just slightly twist that or I omit the truth so that we can just sail past. God says, speak the truth. Speak it in love, but speak the truth. You see, it's when we stop acting, stop knowing God well enough to act according to who he is, where we try to make him in our image. In fact, Go to Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you'll discover that that's the challenge that humanity has had, is that we have taken and made God in our image. And when we make God in our image, the loss of the power of God is evident by the way that we live because we only obey what we want to obey. That's what the whole first three chapters of Romans is about. And so we end up in a position where we have a God who is weak, who a God who has, is really ineffectual, and we can, we can obey a guy like that because he's very limited on what he really asked for me to do. Now, we've got to know him. And the evidence of my knowledge of him is willing to obey him in everything that he states. Well, I don't know what he said. Read through the teachings of Jesus. God is very clear. Go to the Old Testament. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments. Jesus took the Ten Commandments and put life to them. That's what he did. So know Jesus and you know God. And you know what God calls for, to not steal, to tell the truth, uh, to, to give up of yourself so that others may have. Walk the extra mile. Give them, when somebody strikes you in the cheek, turn the other cheek to them. Jesus said, read uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard of that before. You know it. Jesus walked all the way through there and said, you have heard it said. But I say to you, you see, Jesus uh, was explaining that what had happened in his day is people took the, uh, the law, they made it into something that was controllable because they had God now in their hands. And he said, no, here's what happens in the kingdom of God. God is in control. And so when God says, Don't, uh, do not commit adultery, and Jesus says, but if you lust in your mind, you've already committed adultery. You see, Jesus changes that because God is holy and is perfect. So even how we think about somebody not just what we say or how we act toward them, is evidence of our obedience. You see, God puts a different standard, and it comes out of knowing him. So to know God is to obey God. Now look at that, the uh, second uh, part of there, uh, verse 4, he says this, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. I don't know about you, I don't like being called a liar. But we're being told very clearly is, look, if you say you know God, but you're living your life in a way that's evidently contrary to what God has made clear, you might as well just stop saying you know God. Because you really don't. There's nothing gained. See, that's part of what in, in uh, these uh, 
letters from 1 John that we have, what he's talking about is, it, it comes down to this. God has offered a relationship to us, and he's made that relationship available through the forgiveness of sins. And he's honest about this. He says, look, if you say you're without sin, you're only fooling yourself. But if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from every wrong that you've ever done. So God invites you into that relationship. But if you keep going on with this idea that you haven't done anything really wrong, and you yet to understand who God is and what he's done. So don't play the liar. Don't do that to yourself. Because you don't have the relationship, and, and putting on a mask or a facade gains you nothing. But when you are willing to surrender and submit and obey God, you know what it does? It gives you the ability to reign over life that your prayers become powerful and effective, that you bring God into every circumstance, even the crappy ones. Sorry, I just used that word. But the reality is life is full of those, okay? And we walk into them a lot of times because of our choices, and a lot of that comes back to, I don't know God well enough to keep myself out of those circumstances because I'm not willing to obey, so I'll go dumb in my relationship with God so I don't have to obey. But if you really know God, you'll fall in love with him enough that you only want to obey. And that obedience will lead to a powerful existence in this life. Not that everything goes well for you. Don't, don't think this is the Midas touch that's been being promised here. This is something even better. It's not that everything you touch will turn to gold. It's that you already have the existence of God in your life. You don't need gold. You need God, and you live every day as, God, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Show yourself to me so that in this circumstance, I know what it is to know your peace. I know what it is to know your power. I know what it is to be set free. Let me reign in life with you. That's a gift. That's a gift I long for. Now, the great thing is, I'll take you back to 1 John again. It said, if we confess our sins. And God was... Is, knowledgeable enough to know that we will continue to sin even when we know him unless some of you are much better than i am but the reality is we do okay anybody here want to admit that i do the reality is here's the good news god says i know you will but take the little knowledge that you have of me and allow it to lead you back to say god forgive me and we'll continue that relationship and the next time you'll obey and he, God is at work in us all the time. He didn't call for us in knowing him to be instantly perfect. We were made righteous in Christ, and then he's sanctifying us. He's making us right in Christ over the process of our life. And I am thankful for that. I am being made right in Christ because of what Christ has done for me. But at what I know about him, he calls for me to obey and submit to him. And obedience becomes the expression of my love for God. I may not make it right every time, but I at least have an opportunity to come back. God is not a one and done. He's a, I love you for eternity. I'm going to make you right. You will look like my son the day we are face to face. That's the power of prayer because power of prayer calls in my knowledge of God, my love for God, to a moment of surrender and obedience to God. And it's at that point I discovered the victory of walking with God. Then the last thing, I, I love that phrase in, the, in verse 6. It says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. How did Jesus live? Think about it for a minute. Here's what I see in Jesus. We're going to do a quick summation. He continually sought the will of the Father. He prayed continually. 
He was continually in submission to whatever God wanted in, the, in his circumstance where he found himself. And he, he lived with a power, most powerful person ever lived, not just because he was God himself, but because he followed the will of his father in the process of life. And everything was an opportunity to express God and for make, to make him known. Think about every time he was challenged by the religious leaders of his day. He didn't stand up and go, zap you with lightning, dude. No, he, he sat there and he explained to them where they were off in their understanding of God. He made God known. When he performed a miracle, was it so that he could go, hey, look at me? No, the Old Testament says it was evidence of the proof that he was God himself and he was our Messiah. But at the same time, it was evidence of the proof that they didn't know God. They would panic in their situation, and God was in their midst, and he was revealing the power and the existence of God right there with them. That's what our prayers are to be. We're to be Jesus in the midst of this life. Seek God regularly. Know him. As you're in love with him, obey him. And allow your prayers to become an expression of the God that you know. Isn't that a gift? I... I really want to say this to you, and I mean this 100%. I believe that if we become, and we are becoming, a people of prayer, we can change this city. I believe we can change far more than that. But we can change the city. We can change, it starts in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, if we become people of prayer. Those who know God, who love God, and are expressing God everywhere they go. Uh, not to bring this up every time, but I'm seeing it so clearly in re- connection with resolution kindness. I hope you're continuing to pray for resolution kindness. I hope you're being involved by talking about it. It's kind of these two things. It's common ground and it's conversations. Use it. We're in this community together. But I had several more good conversations this week that I'm beginning to see God opening doors. But you know what he's doing? He's opening doors for conversation about his kindness. I'm starting to see it. People asking me questions now that why is this so important? Why are you doing this? And you're doing this in, in, and uh, in allowing the business community to lead this. And why is that? And it's because we're all in life together. But I've experienced a kindness that's changed my life. His name is Jesus. You see, the opportunities are there. We need to be praying that God will let us be those who in our obedience speak clearly, as Jesus did. We are to be Jesus to this world until the day he comes back. And that's the power of our prayer. I really want to encourage you in this, too. Your prayer goes to the very throne of God. He hears and understands your need. We have the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, I'll tell you this again. Acts chapter 5 explains this that we are given a comforter, the one who comes to us. And Jesus even said in, in, uh, in uh, John 14, when we read earlier, that God himself comes to dwell. He uses the word, we will come to live with you. We, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself comes to take up residence with us so that when we are struggling to obey, God's right there with us to encourage us. When we actually fall and stumble, he picks us up and allows us to seek forgiveness. When we need his presence and his victory over life because life's starting to overwhelm, but he said, no, you reign in me. We, he is there with us to give us that power. It's not me, it's God in me. So that Christ can be seen 
And all that is mine through a simple faith in Jesus, what he did for me. A surrender. You see, to follow Jesus begins with obedience. If I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, I am saved. That's all it takes. And then it's, it doesn't end there. And that's the problem we sometimes make in our Western perspective. I've got the prize. No, this is alive and living, and the prize is now I am set free. That's the prize as life was just given to me. Now I can live in the power of Jesus. I can reign over life so God can be known, God can be seen, and others can fall in love with him. I want you to have a prayer life like that. I want us to be a church that prays with that expectation, that understands God is here, God is present, he can be known, and in knowing him we can love him, and in loving him we can surrender to him. And the world needs to see that Jesus in us. Here's what I want to do. Just for a couple minutes, I want us to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to start us out with a time of silence. And here's where I want you to start. Maybe ask God to begin to reveal himself to you that you can know him better. And that you will respond to the opportunities of knowing God. Maybe that means spending more time reading your Bible. Maybe that means spending more time with other believers so you can ask questions of each other and can challenge each other. And as the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, you can spend time together to draw closer to God. But ask God, what do I need to do to know you more? And I will then shift this over to asking yourself, God, how do I express my love for you? We'll spend a time and you can just talk to God about that. And then we'll bring it back to the last point here of God, where am I not obeying? Help me in a bit. You said you'll, for, you'll forgive if I confess. I want to confess. Show me where, through your spirit living in me, show me where I'm not obeying you. Let's pray. I want to encourage you, just as you come silently before God, ask him to reveal himself to you. Now, as you're speaking to God, I encourage you to just ask him to reveal to you maybe things in this life that you love more, that have your attention, that you desire, that you must have, because you really don't know God well enough. Ask him to give you a heart that loves him. God has, even while we were at odds with him, given his son an extended grace. He gave us life. Why? Because he loves us. We're told that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
Does your love for God lead you to obedience? Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know much. I can't really say I love him much, so it's hard for me to even obey. That's okay. Then I want you to come back to a knowledge of God. The Bible tells us clearly that the wages of sin is death. Death is separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you received that life? Receive it through simple obedience. Jesus, I need you. I believe in you. I want the life that you give. That simple knowledge, I want to just say thank you for I love you for what you've done for me. And now God calls us to obedience. What is it that, what area of your life is not expressing your knowledge and love for God? Talk to him about it. Father, my prayer is a prayer of blessing for these people. A blessing of knowing you, of loving you, and obeying you. When we are doing those things, we live life based on a knowledge of you, an opportunity to express the love we have for you, leads us to simple surrender and obedience in all areas of our lives. You tell us that we actually reign over life. Life no longer has control over us. It surrenders and submits to your will in the way that we live in every circumstance. That gift is given to us. That power is released to us. So when we are told we can come boldly before your throne and we can ask for anything in the powerful name of Jesus and it will be given to us, we know it is true because we know you and we know your love for us and we know your will and we seek it and surrender and submit to it. And so our prayers become powerful because they just simply release your will in our circumstance. And you are a God who can do anything in any, thir- any circumstance, and we get to experience it. Thank you for that. You are a God beyond measure. You are a God beyond our understanding. You are a God who loves in depths that we can never even measure. You are a God who has set us free. You are a God who has given grace. Your mercy reigns new every day, and you call us by name to know you. But that knowledge has to lead to a change. And it's expressed through obedience. Let us know where we are not obeying. Give us the humility to surrender it. And we bring it to you who is a gracious God. Who forgives and restores. And brings life out of death. We thank you. We stand victorious because of Jesus. We pray powerfully because of Jesus. We set life loose because of Jesus. And we praise you in his name.